Media Focus with Paul Blanchard. This week, the right to be forgotten. If you complain, Google is now actively taking down search results with embarrassing personal information. But is this right? The stubborn popularity of television. An ITV exec has said that TV has conquered the internet. Do they have a point or are the traditional channels in denial? And the future of lads mags. Loaded and Stuff magazine are dropping scantily clad cover girls. Is this the beginning of the end? Media Focus. And we have an all-digital lineup on this podcast. Bess Mayhew is Head of Digital Communications for the Liberal Democrats. And Felicity Morse is Social Media Editor at The Independent. First up, now the backlash against the right to be forgotten begins. You can now ask search engines to stop returning results that contain embarrassing information. Journalists like Robert Peston have been told that some of their reporting will now not be shown on Google because of complaints from people named in their articles. Felicity, is this right? Do we want our own faux pas deleted, yet the unvarnished truth when we Google someone else? And what does this mean in the long term? Well, what I think is quite interesting is that they're not actually removing links from the internet or removing content. They're just removing, they're stopping indexing them. And they're only stopping indexing them from European searches. So you will still be able to find them using google.com. And you can still uh, find certain links if you know what to search. So it may be just a name, it won't come up. But if you have particular details that you want to find, you can. Um, The other thing is that you could easily put stuff in. So there's nothing wrong with, say, for example, writing an article and saying these are the links that Google's have asked to put us down, to take down, and then indexing them within an article. So you're allowed to do that. It's not as 1984 as it sounds, really. But there's the sort of Streisand effect, which is where if you ask for something to be taken down, you unwittingly draw attention to that very detail, which is what's happened with Robert Peston. Do you want to explain what the Streisand effect is for our listeners? And me, in fact. And me. (laughs) Yeah, what actually is the Streisand effect? So the Streisand effect, it refers to a case uh, involving Barbara Streisand where some scientists were studying coastal erosion. As part of that study, they took a picture of her property on the coast. And um, at that point, only six people had downloaded that photo. Um, Two of them were her lawyers, um, and she then tried to sue for breach of privacy. Um, As a result of that lawsuit, I think 420,000 people (laughs) then downloaded the photo, so much more than would have previously seen the photo before. So that's how these things can backfire. (laughs) Well, Bess, can I bring you in there? Because, sure. uh, the pe- you know, these very articles that people are trying to remove, it's human nature that they're the ones that we're actually interested in. If you Google someone, you're looking for reasons to not do business with them. You're looking for warning signs, aren't you, to check that they're not a serial killer, that they're honest and above board. Surely it's the articles that they want removed are the ones that you actually want to see. Um, well, absolutely. I think um, this is a case of, a classic case, really, of... Um, right to privacy versus right to freedom of expression. And you're always going to have to have a balancing line. So on the one hand, an article about um, a politician you know, voting in a way that he perhaps now regrets, I mean, thinking perhaps Section 28 or something, that's definitely in the public interest um, and Google shouldn't be taking that down. On the other hand, um, say, for example, you um, had a sex change and you didn't want your previous name uh, that was identified with your gender to be out there because you've got a new gender, a new identity then you could possibly uh, argue the the other way. The the specific case with Robert Peston was definitely uh, a bit of a storm in the teacup because um, he initially, uh, the article in question was about um, a guy called Stan O'Neill, I think, um, 
who uh, worked for Merrill Lynch. Um, and initially, Robert Peston thought that the article had been requested um, to be taken down by this guy, Stan. As it turned out much later on, um, it was actually someone who'd made a comment on the article. Um, and if you Googled Stan O'Neill, Merrill Lynch, the article would still pop up. It was just if you Googled the guy who made the comment, who we don't know who that is, it wouldn't. Um, so it was a very specific and very narrow set of search terms. So the whole thing was um, a little bit blown out of proportion. But that said, um, this is a very uh, early piece of legislation from the EU. Um, they certainly need to clarify exactly what is meant by irrelevant content. And they certainly need to make uh, stronger data protection clarifications there too. Felicity, don't you feel sorry for Google in a little centrally? Because they didn't want this. I mean, you look at the article that Bess was mentioning there about Peston. It was a guy who'd commented on it. I mean, he put it on the BBC website knowing that it was then. There is he trying to remove something that he you know, he posted in good faith and he ought to have known. And not only that, the poor bloke that the article was about has been unfairly maligned thinking he was trying to get rid of it and he wasn't. I mean, the other thing is that people are actually thinking now that Google's reaction has been so sort of, as Robert Person described it, clumsy and draconian that they're actually trying to sabotage the legislation by taking things down just willy-nilly and there's going to be a huge backlash against that and then they're going to not have to comply or these, uh, the EU ruling is going to have to be looked at because of the pressure. The, I think Google told Robert Peston that they had like an army of paralegals looking at it. So there's a huge cost for Google. Um, I don't think it's likely that they're trying to sabotage it on purpose. Perhaps it's just that it's easier to comply with across the board with everything than it is to look very deeply into each individual case. So maybe, like Robert Peston, they decided not that many people were looking for it anyway, so there wouldn't be such a big deal about taking it down. I mean, if it's, if nobody's clicked on that article for, say, two years, then would there be a big hullabaloo about it being taken down? Well, yes, but that's probably because Google have to email Robert um, or BBC and say your article has been taken down so they notify the publisher of it and that's probably and then Robert wrote his blog post that's, that's probably, probably misunderstood um, what was going on there I mean the question about freedom of speech is kind of interesting because links aren't speech and Google has done quite a lot to not it doesn't want to be known as a media organisation it just is it's classified as a data controller and so this um how it controls its data in terms of index links that's what it's looking into rather than freedom of speech and so when jimmy wales of wikipedia talks about articles being taken down well they are more of a media organization so they would have very different rules for that these are incredibly difficult decisions for google in the first place balancing the interests of two competing people or organisations? Well, absolutely. Um, I, I do feel a little bit sorry for them. Um, I think they've said they're going to learn by doing. Um, so I guess they're just working out exactly the best way to do this. Um, and I think they've had something like 70,000 applications already. And probably after the weekend stories, they've probably doubled or tripled that by now. They um, seem to be slowing down, actually. So like in the first four days there were 40,000 requests oh, wow. but they're slowing yeah. I think they're slowing down a bit more now that people understand what they can ask to be removed and what yeah. can't like you can't just 
ask, you know, sort of, there's not carte blanche for the whole thing. Absolutely. So just in conclusion then, um, where do we think that this is going to go next? Do we think that this is this is going to settle down as an issue, that people are going to have the, uh, you know, historic embarrassing information that's of no use to anyone deleted and everyone can move on to the next topic? Or do you think this is going to cause real problems for us, for us in the long run, Felicity? I think it's going to depend on the cases that are thrown up. Um, if If Google makes some big mistakes then it's going to really be obvious to people that this what the negative side of it could be but if it's very small things um then i think people won't have a problem with it going forward saying that there's a huge um there's a huge campaign against an open and free internet and the freedom of the press although it's not quite the same thing um and people don't like to think that corporations like Google are able to control um, what information they access. Les, do you think that this is just going to be something that society gets used to? That if you Google someone, there's going to be some good stuff and there's going to be the odd bad thing? A tribunal ruling here or X, Y and Z and people just accept that as the full truth? Well, I think people are already used to that. I mean, who hasn't secretly Googled themselves? Um... I've got a Google alert out for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think people are aware that they're... That both the good and the bad is out there. And it kind of makes them uh, pay attention a bit more um, to what they're saying. Um, certainly some of the, for example, the, the 2011 riots, um, the harshest punishments, I think, were from people who actually just posted on Facebook, let's go rioting tonight, because that was kind of preemptive. And so people are a, a bit more careful, I think, now about exactly what they say, knowing it'll be up there forever. You know, in the future, these issues might come up again. Um, we just have to wait and see. Um, learning by doing, as, as Google said. As they are, we're all doing that, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, exactly. Now, Peter Fincham, ITV's director of television, said recently that TV has conquered the internet. Many predicted digital technology would kill off traditional TV channel viewing, and yet the number of people watching telly online and offline has actually increased. Bess, do you watch more or less TV, and how do you think our viewing habits are changing? More or less TV than when? An interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, though, when I was younger, uh, much less, unfortunately. I'm uh, still working when Neighbours is on. That was my uh, TV programme of choice. Did you watch Home and Away as well? Oh, not, not when it moved to Channel 5, unfortunately. Ah, yeah, right. didn't have Channel 5 when I was younger. Um, <laughs> Those prehistoric our age now. Yeah. I know, I know. No, I, I watch probably a few hours a week. Um, depends kind of what's on. Homeland is a is a definitely a big favourite in my household. Do you kind of go into the house and then just turn the TV on and see what's on, or do you watch certain shows that are on iPlayer or like certain series religiously? Definitely certain series religiously. I mean, I would almost never turn the TV on um, just when I got home unless I was wanting to watch the news or something. Uh, how do new shows come on your radar then? Do you just have to wait till everyone said Breaking Bad's brilliant for two years like I did and then eventually you succumb? That, it's so funny if you said that. I literally started watching the box set of Breaking Bad like two weeks ago. It's awesome. so, yeah. <laughs> lucky, lucky person. <laughs> You've got 62 episodes of awesomeness brilliant, ahead of you. Brilliant. What yeah. season are you on? Season one? Yeah, I think episode four or something. So awesome. Anyway, I'm becoming a Breaking Bad bore now. Felicity, do you watch Breaking Bad let's get that I watch Breaking Bad I binge watch TV which is a very internet oh well it's not necessarily an internet based thing there's the box set as well which Mm. you can watch on TV I don't watch TV at all I watch all my shows online I think that's something to do with living in um, a shared house do you have a TV do you watch yeah we have a TV and I have a TV license but you don't I'm not an inspector (laughs) no no I have a and I mean it's all right for like flicking through maybe if you are completely bored but I would never 
I don't I just don't want to be regulated by what is on TV at the mm. time so like TV on demand is amazing yeah um, and you don't have to be regulated by them I mean I think going back to Paul, what Paul Finch said I I think it's less a case of um the TV having conquered the internet and more having either adapted to the internet or indeed survived the internet um and now people are consuming kind of four screens at once um I think there was a study in the US that said that young people are now watching 18 hours of media and they can't be doing that all one after the other. Um, they have to be doing it concurrently. So Two they've got three the screens. phone and their iPad and the TV and the internet. It's just, yeah, I crazy. think the only thing that I kind of think is sad about not watching like a proper stand-up TV is that you're losing how amazing it is to watch TV with a group of people mm. because the commentary is just so brilliant. Yeah. Like Gogglebox has really captured the idea of watching people watching something and how fun it is. Um, and if you do watch telly with your family, it's is way more fun um, watching with other people. It, I know it sounds a bit like... But isn't are we evolving with that? Because everyone crowd watches Question Time mm. these days with Twitter yeah, at the absolutely. same time. Yeah. You can't watch Question Time without having Owen Jones tweeting absolutely. all along saying this tar is evil and whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, yeah, so you can watch it with people online as well, but I still think it's nice to, you know, watch something together and then so discuss when you, it So when you binge-watched Breaking Bad, was that on your iPad or was that That was like, solo. DVDs? I watched a bit of it with my parents as well um, and I think they watched it together. But... Um, I watched it all on my own. It just got darker and darker and darker. <laughs> on your iPad or on your TV? On my iPad. I see, okay. On my iPad. But so you, have you got DVDs? When you say you've just started it, how yeah, are you Yeah, uh, my it? brother's lent me the DVDs, so he's, he's obviously very old-fashioned. Yes, old school. <laughs> yeah, um, but I, I kind of disagree that you have to watch it with people. I think um, certainly with Twitter and everything, you can watch it live whilst chatting to other people. Um, and people can still, you still go into work the next day saying, oh, did you see what happened in whatever episode it was last night, wasn't that brilliant? And there's a whole lot of spin-off material. So, you know, you have the your buzz feeds and your quizzes, you know, I don't know. Yeah, what, what Breaking which, Bad which, Yeah, which Breaking Bad, you know, how would you cook crystal meth? Yeah. <laughs> like, Carefully you know. is the answer. <laughs> yeah, of sort of lighter content, you know, which Mary Berry cake are you or something? But Felicity, do you not think that, you know, even if TV channels are a source of content that we can then re-watch later on our iPads or whatever, do you not think that that potentially is dying? Because when you look at Netflix and so on, they're commissioning their own series. Orange is the New Black has never been on a, a traditional TV channel. Um, Well, I have Netflix as well, and I think it's interesting. I think the great thing about Netflix which and also about BBC iPlayer is that once you're on those sites they're easy to navigate around and find new things to watch if you've watched this you might like this mm. if you and that's that's really good and really effective like shows that are kind of similar or have a similar thread or people have both like these and that enables you to find more shows and watch them that's I think where the sites that do TV or digital media well are going to stand out but i think it sounds like you're kind of leading uh the charge in terms of what you watch i'm very much a sheep so i will only start watching something when i've heard it confirmed from several people via several different medias uh that it's very it's good. good so you um, won't you won't like look at it on its first night oh, the debut well, and say, give it a i mean go. if i've seen an advert on tv though i will uh so i think for me yeah. adverts and trailers are still very important and certainly with the internet i mean trailers and far more seen than they ever were before um and all that kind of teaser content i think sherlock was the other day i you know some 221 pm or something um announcing oh, yeah. a new show and all this you know tweets that hint at stuff and you know the other day i saw um several uh 
trailers that have been condensed into six second vines. So, you know, I like to see all that stuff before I kind of make my decision. I can't, like you, obviously, uh, go out and find it. Um, yeah, I have to be told, really. I mean, the other interesting thing is if the internet is making our concentration spans really short, whether we're going to be able to watch slow-moving TV any longer. Um, I know that my, my concentration is gone. shot to bits since just looking at Twitter. I'm sure it's Twitter that does it. I think Facebook is bad too, but like these little nuggets, they're like little bits that pop and then go away. And if, you, if a film doesn't grab me straight away... I can't, I find it really difficult to sit and watch a film just because, unless it has a huge impact straight away. Well, the, and grabs the, me. the directors then have to kind of come up with ways of really engaging you. Yeah. And you see the TV series now with their huge budgets. I mean, they're almost ta- overtaking films. Yeah. yeah I mean, like the internet could affect TV in that way too. But I think if people sit down, I, I still think if people sit down in front of the TV, they expect something different than if they are with their laptop because it's just much easier to switch off. Um, whereas the TV, yeah, you can flick channels, but I think you give it longer before you change, perhaps because you don't have as much option. Do any of you watch TV on your TV that's driven via your iPad? Because we have Apple TV at home where we'll put Breaking Bad on on our iPad and then we throw it to the TV and watch it in HD on there, but it is actually our iPad that's driving it. I only link up my laptop to to our TV via old-fashioned cables, um, but I'd love a smart TV, that'd be great. Do you think this is a generational thing that that Peter's trying to hold on to the kind of old way of doing things and that the, the modern way is going to be completely different, that we just take our content from anywhere, whether it be YouTube, BBC One, iPlay, whatever, and that it's just all in the mix? I don't, I don't think he's completely wrong. Um, people love the kind of visual impact that high-quality TV dramas have, which user-generated content, although it can be funny and engaging, it will never have that really high-quality stuff um i mean you just have to look at game of thrones for example to see the kind of huge effort they put into it and so i think there'll always be a demand for that and i mean if you thought films for example in the 20s that was their kind of golden era they could have collapsed since then but they're still going strong i mean even radio i mean the death of radio should have happened probably in 1945. Um, but, Love radio. Yeah, but everyone loves it. <laughs> this is radio. This is radio, <laughs> yes. It's adapting to the modern era. <laughs> Long live radio. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's, it's mobile and everybody's talking about what you watch. You know, mobile's the, the next big thing if it's not big already. So, and I think that's where radio comes into its own Absolutely. as well. Um, and also just because it's it's nicer sometimes to be able to listen rather than watch. I I prefer it just because there's too much stimulus for me if I have to watch and listen to something at the same time. I find it doesn't give enough space for thinking, but that's a really personal thing. And I know that uh, not everybody feels like that at all. The thing is, it's changing the way that programmes are judged as well. So did you watch The Fall? You like crime dramas, don't oh, you? Oh, I loved The Fall. I thought, I, I thought I, it was amazing. It is brilliant. Is that, have you watched that, Bess? Was that the Northern Ireland? Northern yes. yes. I hated the ending. I hated it. Oh, yes, but there's going sort to be another series. There's going to be another series, so it's fine. Like, I don't mind that it, it was a terrible ending, but it wasn't the ending. It was terrible, but also brilliant. It was very unconventional. I'll say that for a spoiler alert and hope it's re-edited back into earlier in the podcast. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But that's interesting, because I didn't watch that for weeks like like you were saying best earlier that I want you know there was a real buzz about it but it's changing the way that uh, programs are, are measured in terms of their success because mm. for example Family Guy was cancelled twice when you look at the traditional way of measuring how many mm. people watch a TV show it got cancelled but then of course because of DVDs and uh, uh, Amazon viewing and all this kind of thing it adds up to then to be a profitable yeah. show and it's a, it's a similar issue we say London Live Evgeny yeah. Lebedev is saying look the traditional way of measuring audiences is completely out of Absolutely. date I mean I, d- 
didn't watch Broadchurch first time around, but there's a second series. I'm definitely going to watch the first series when it's re- reopened on iPlayer. Watch this space. <laughs> Finally, is this the beginning of the end for Lads Mags? Loaded and Stuff magazine have both announced that they'll drop the scantily clad model, saying that they were lowering the tone of their magazines. This follows a number of successful campaigns to encourage supermarkets and shops not to stock mags with this revealing content. Felicity, are lads' mags now a throwback to the past and have readers' tastes now changed? Firstly, I should probably say that I wasn't ever their target market. Um, But what's interesting is why people want to claim this as a victory for feminism. I think that it might be too easy to say that the demise of lads' mags has got a lot to do with the internet's lively porn industry rather than the rise of feminism. But I, I, I posted that on my Facebook page um, last week, actually, and uh, one of my friends who works for Lads Mag said he thought that publishers had always misread or misinterpreted why people have been buying Lads Mags in the first place, and it was more to do with sort of like some of the fun articles and the humour and that whole sort of banter culture and not really anything to do with women in the first place. That was just kind of an add-on. So that's that's quite interesting. And so th- therefore taking away the girls with boobs wouldn't have any impact on sales and it would only boost them. And if you put feminism on top of that and say, you know, we're in a new era as well, then that's only going to give them good PR and it will make headlines as well. So if boobs weren't selling and they were never selling, but now they've actually become an antidote to sales or they're actually stopping people from buying, then it would be a good idea to take them off. So from a PR perspective, I think it probably makes sense. I don't think they're taking away girls with boobs. <laughs> Leaving <laughs> some girls without boobs. I think they're just covering them up. Was... But I, 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 I do take your point. Bess, what do you think's behind this? Um, well, I think it's just uh, it's a combination probably of uh, shifting demand. I mean, um, the sales of these magazines are certainly going down. Um, quite strongly in some cases, um, whereas sort of more sophisticated, uh, shall we say, uh, gentlemen's magazines like GQ and others are, well, not not doing badly at all. And I think I think Felicity's right. They just want more interesting content. Uh, you know, it's not all about the front page picture. <laughs> I mean, you don't buy a magazine to look at the front page, for example. Um, you buy it because you know there are good articles and it's funny and banterous. But then also at the same time, a lot of lads mags have folded um, and... Um, top shelf magazines I mean I, I presume they're non-existent nowadays with the internet so whereas they were competing before with in a row of photos of naked women and they just wanted the best naked woman on the front they're now really competing in a much narrower market um, so they want to compete much more with the likes of GQ and the, attract the kind of urban metrosexual man who's interested in in more than just I mean it might be something women. to do with advertisers as well because obviously Tesco and Co-op took them down because they didn't want to be associated mm. with um, that sort of culture that lad lad culture and it might be that um, the advertisers inside the magazines didn't want to be associated with um, the loaded sort of culture although I just wonder how nuts is going to get away from that particular stereotype all it is is just boobs and a few footballers. Well, I mean, it's it? called nuts. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's named after a body part of men. Like, I, I just think that it's probably, it's a bit ridiculous to, you know, it wanted to be a bit more sophisticated. I just remember that advert. 
I still, I think it must have been a good advert because it kind of annoyed me at the time and I was probably a bit precocious even being annoyed by it like 14 but um, it was like ladies don't expect any help on a Thursday very <laughs> <laughs> like Alan Partridge yeah, exactly. it's very outdated but I think I think a lot of media I think you're right um, the pressure from Tesco's and the carp have, have probably helped um, but you know you've talked, even Rupert Murdoch was saying he was thinking of taking page three out of the sun I mean things have really changed when that happens um, and actually, I'm, my concern really is that women's magazines are getting a bit left behind. I mean, they they yeah. have photos of scantily clad yeah, women, I know. all photoshopped and airbrushed to your heart's content. Um, and that's actually probably more worrying in terms of the the attitude that women put on themselves rather than that, that men portray onto women. But do you think the photoshopping creates an unhealthy culture? I mean, I read Empire magazine and I like to look at my Hollywood celebrities, male and female, and I, I expect them to be at their best, of course with lighting and makeup, but not Photoshop. And you can see these very heavily Photoshopped images. And mm. as a reader, I'm alienated and a bit annoyed, actually. Would you agree? Do you want as to see the real truth? As long as you know that they're Photoshopped, I don't think there's any real danger. I think the problem comes when people don't realise that they're Photoshopped. I mean, if you're looking at an idealised version of, of life, which quite a lot of glamorous magazines or glossy magazines sell... That comes as part and parcel of it. What, that we're complicit in it as a reader, that we know that these yeah. images are photoshopped? Absolutely. I mean, I think for me, it's adverts, which I hate, that do it the most because they really go to town on it as well. I mean, just look at mascara adverts. No one's eyelashes <laughs> have ever looked like that with <laughs> mascara. And Pantene... No one's hair is that glossy. No Mine one. is. The, the, the <laughs> listeners will have to take my word for it. No, this is the wrong career for you. I think you <laughs> should model women's shampoo. Yeah, it sounds good. But, Bess, is there a serious issue that we're creating unrealistic body image issues here for people growing up of both sexes? Definitely. I, I absolutely think that. I, I agree that we need to put like public information notices on these on these pieces to say that they have been photoshopped. Um, particularly when there's children involved or teenagers because they're the kind of most vulnerable years um, and have been bombarded with images of tiny, tiny, thin women um, that actually aren't true representative of them. I think it's very damaging for girls. But I think women themselves also need to, like the men um, have, as change their demand. So, you know, not buy magazines that have a huge Photoshop woman on the front. Well, sorry, not a huge Photoshop woman. A very thin Photoshop a woman. woman hugely photoshopped. <laughs> yeah. Get my, get my adjectives in the right place. Women with boobs. <laughs> yeah. I like that really. True. I was stifling a laugh actually when I said that. Um, so we need to change our our habits too, um, and certainly um, having the information on on the page itself um, as to whether or not it's been photoshopped would certainly help. Yeah, um, I like that idea too. Yeah, because um, it would inform me, and then I can make a decision if I want to buy a Photoshop picture fine that's my right but if I don't then I can uh, choose another one I mean I've got unrealistic body image the other way in that I look in the mirror and I think damn I'm looking really hot and then like <laughs> pictures come back you are attractive. of the event <laughs> and I'm all like attractive. I look hideous and my mum's like that's a really good photo of you I'm like that's horrible I look disgusting why is my eye so shriveled I think um, everyone hates photos of themselves that's why uh, photoshopping was, yeah, was invented I'm, yeah perhaps but, but do you think as a reader we are complicit because I buy like men's health magazines and you know I want to focus on the after pictures where you know after someone's done a million sit-ups over eight weeks I much prefer looking at people of both genders that have that have been a success but when it's their fat slobby bit at the beginning I think does anyone want to look at those kind of things are, are we just 
Are they just giving us what we want? I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I just think it's unhealthy to compare yourself to people full stop. And maybe that's something that we have to look at as a society rather than tackle airbrushing. You know, there's always going to be people better than you and there's always going to be people worse than you. And that's probably the long and short of it. And it doesn't really help from, from a media perspective, perhaps. But I think it's just making sure people have as much information as possible when images have been digitally altered, especially young people, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I, there's nothing wrong with kind of portraying a healthy human, regardless of their sex. I, I mean, that's actually that should be encouraged um, to encourage young girls to do exercise. They just need the kind of role models there to to show them that actually having a healthy slightly muscly toned body is a good thing they don't want to be stick thin um like like other celebrities but can't you walk into nick clegg's office with a copy of uh, glamour magazine slam it on the desk and say come on sort it nick this is that this is creating unrealistic body image issues in the minds of our young well um is that how it works in government that's exactly how it works yeah, i walk in be. and something happens <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> so it's just like the west wing then is it <laughs> sadly more like the thick of it <laughs> yes it's difficult again because you can't suppress freedom of of uh speech and or freedom of expression freedom of publication um but at the same time you have to protect particularly young people so it's a it's always a balancing act with these sorts of things you just have to see what works best and you know won't on the one hand stop magazines publishing the things they want to publish but on the other hand won't um you know drive young girls to serious issues serious health problems because of you know dieting or or and you know even going as far as anorexia so I think you just have to you know, draw the line where you think is appropriate and publishing information about the use of digital alteration is uh, probably a good thing. So Felicity, do you agree with what Beth said there about kind of giving the reader the information to make a choice for themselves, whether you know this, this magazine contains photoshopped imagery or something like that? I'm reminded of the kind of CD. Do you remember when it used to say explicit content? And yeah. Was a sticker? yeah. That used to make me want to buy Perez, it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's now NSFW, isn't it? Not oh. suitable for work. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah, okay. and that makes you want to click. Because you know it's going to be naughty. <laughs> I think is that just me? No, that just that's, that no, makes no, me want to click because yeah, yeah, I know it's too. supposed to be naughty. Um, so yeah, that that kind of thing. I think just having as much information as possible, and I think it's really important not to make it like a feminist issue too. Although it is in some ways, it is because I, mean, I think that you know men get just objectified when it comes to these kind of magazines, and they're still hit with that unrealistic uh, stereotype too. Um, yeah, no more page three. <laughs> all these body issues that we all seem to have is enough to make you want to drive to Aberdeen and stuff your face full of Toblerone like Alan Partridge <laughs> did, didn't he? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, so... I think, guys, uh, we've run out of metaphorical tape. It's recorded <laughs> digitally, so I think we might have to leave it there. No um, how do people follow you on Twitter and so on? Best, can we start with yourself? How do people get hold of you and stalk you on the electric interweb? Um, so uh, my Twitter handle is just at this Mayhew, um, all one word. I'm at Felicity Morse and I mainly tweet pictures of cats. And elephants, <laughs> today yeah and elephants yeah all sorts of interesting animals they were incredibly cute <laughs> yeah. are you one of the most followed people in, on on twitter and these kind of things and you must have quite a large following well i think i've got and this is where i say the exact number no i think i've got um i think i've got like fourteen thousand or something which wow. is quite I, I, it's all right i think facebook is the place where you want lots of people though is that right I mean, best last question then. Do you where do you do most of your engagement on social media? Is it on Twitter or is it on Facebook? So I'm very much a follower. 
a lurker. A lurker. No, a, yeah. listener, a, a listener. A listener. A listener. Which is just isn't okay. <laughs> <laughs> With thanks to our guests, Bess and Felicity. The associate producer was Jordan Greenaway. I'm Paul Blanchard. Thank you for listening. Catch you next time. A big things media production. <laughs> this